Preston Smith taking a pay cut again in order to remain with uh, with the green and gold. Frees up about a couple million, a little over $2 million for, for the Packers in the salary cap. This is on the heels of them converting Rashawn Gary's, uh, or adjusting Rashawn Gary's to contract to open up some more cap space. So kind of doing a little tinkering here, right? It's nothing too big. Uh, you know, basic math between the two, you're probably talking between 6 and $7 million, it seems like, from various reports out there total that uh, the Packers have freed up in their in their salary cap. More than likely going to be a whole lot more when they move on from David Bakhtiari. Well, it will be a whole lot more when they move on to David Bakhtiari. But Preston Smith, you know, we, we to- we've been talking about this defense, this this new defense, 4-3, 4-2-5, whatever the heck it's going to be. Okay, we know, though, there's going to be more down linemen. And a lot of the talk surrounding Jeff Hafley's new defense, when we talk about this and talk about a 4-3, 4-2-5, you know, we focused on Rashawn Gary and, and Lucas Van Ness. And, and then you still got, hey, Preston Smith's kind of still there waving his hand saying, hey, I'm still here now too. Which, remember, Kiki, Kingsley Enagbari, tore his ACL late in the season, so he's more than likely going to miss at least the first half of the season. He's probably going to be that guy that opens up the season on the pup list. So you look at that, and it's like, okay, the, the defensive end position's a little thin. If Kingsley's healthy and still around, do they work this out with Preston? Maybe do they move on from him fully? Who knows, right? We don't know that because we don't. But Preston, to me, is going to be an interesting player to kind of follow along in this new style of defense because throughout his professional career, he's played that that 3-4 outside linebacker, Washington, and then, of course, with, with Green Bay. I went back to his draft combine profile that NFL.com always uses. I love this. I love when they do this. Lance Zerline does a fantastic job with it. Everybody does a fantastic job with it. But going back to his 2015 scouting reports out there, this is what they had to say on NFL.com. Smith has been a solid rotational defensive end for Mississippi State, but nothing too special. When studying tape long enough, you see traits and potential with his long arms plus hands and ability to play the run. Smith could be an interesting prospect inside or in a hybrid 3-4 front. As a 4-3 defensive end, he lacks the twitch to be an impact player. Again, that's 2015. It's a long time ago, and as we know, scouting reports, all that stuff, don't always match up. Don't always, aren't always accurate. But I think the one thing you look at where it says, you know, that uh, talks about his ability to, to play the run. And that's kind of been one of his strong suits, stronger suits with uh, when, with his time in Green Bay. Maybe that's something that he can really bring to the table as as a defensive end within this style of that, that Jeff Hafley is going to be bringing over. I don't know at this point. I mean, we're 
going to be into March here. It's a long time before training camp and, and all that. I don't know if he's going to continue to be a starter. I mean, he's going to be paid a whole lot of money, maybe. But it's going to be interesting to see him and kind of Lucas Van Ness battle. Because I think we all know Rashawn Gary is going to be one. Rashawn Gary is going to be over there. Could there be situations where maybe all three are still out there? Could there be situations where it's Rashawn, it's Kenny Clark, it's Preston Smith, it's Lucas Van Ness on the defense front? You throwing a little Devonto? I don't know. But I feel like, and again, it's just it's a it's a it's a salesman's pitch. When you listen to Jeff Hafley, and you talk about you know go back to his presser, he talked about exotic looks. He, he mentioned that a few times. Could there be the potential of an exotic look that could feature a Rashawn, a Lucas, a Preston, a Kenny, and a Devontae Wyatt or somewhere out there? Possibly. But I think there's one good thing with this style of defense that will benefit Preston Smith a ton and will hopefully alleviate some of the stress from from Packers fans out there. And that is no more precedent coverage. Won't have to drop back in coverage as much as he did at least this past year because it got highlighted big time and it got exposed big time this year when Preston had to, I don't know, cover Devontae Adams for crying out loud. Or some other receivers out there? I mean, come on. You know? Come on. If I'm a quarterback, if I'm a, if I'm going up there and I see I've got Devontae on my team or a Justin Jefferson or whoever the hell it may be, I don't care what receiver it is, but I got Preston covering him all day. All day. So that to me is a is going to be a huge benefit in itself. Just just that with Preston, not going to have to be doing that. But I, I'm very curious to see how he plays within this style of defense and what type of role he's going to have. Because as we mentioned, as soon as the Packers move on from David Bakhtiari, he's going to be the oldest player on this team. He had a solid season this past year, but I think having a guy like him too, you know, just having him within that locker room. Could be a benefit. And I'm curious to see how it all kind of works out. Speaking of Green Bay, something that uh, popped out last year for the first time was the NFL Players Association uh, team report cards. I thought this was fantastic. Um, I, you know, as, as just a fan that, that looks at this, I mean, it's kind of a an inside look at how the players view their team, their coaches, their ownership, et cetera, et cetera. Green Bay, when you add it all up, finished third out of 32. Third out of 32. The only two teams higher, Dolphins. Dolphins had that report card that if you were a kid and you took home to your parents, you were probably getting a nice treat afterwards. I mean, you look at the Dolphins report card, and it's just straight-out A's. A on a roll. Easily. Vikings finished second. Vikings finished high last year, too. Vikings finished second out of 32. Green Bay, third. 
Reading a little bit here from the NFL Players Association, the Packers upgraded their facilities this past year, including the players' meeting rooms and an underground parking facility to insulate players from the Green Bay Colt. Players rank them highly in areas such as their food service and cafeteria, the way they travel, and their weight room. It is a credit to Green Bay's management team that, according to the players' responses, the belief is that the club invests in making their workplace better year over year. While ranking third overall is an, is an excellent achievement, Packers players do call, call out a desire for the club to address the locker room and treatment of families. The locker room provides players with plenty of space, but they feel it could use a renovation to update it. They also would appreciate having game day child care for their families, as most other NFL teams offer that to the players' families. So, they got different categories here. Treatment of families, Packers, C+, 10th. Food and cafeteria, B+, 6th. Nutritionist, dietitian, B, 14th. Locker room, B-, 15th. Training room, B, 11th. Training staff, B, 16th out of 32. Weight room, A, 7th. Strength coaches, they just got a new one. The players ranked at eight minus, A-, minus, 8th out of 32. Team travel, B+, 4th. Head coach, Man on the floor, got a B plus. 21st out of 32, though. I want to get to that one here coming up here in a second. Ownership, which is Mark Murphy, A, 6 out of 32. So let's go to the to the head coach one. Says here, 92% of the players feel that head coach Matt LaFleur is efficient with their time. 92%. That's 15th overall. However, the players, and I don't think it's all of them, but this is it was something that popped up in the report card and such. The players feel that Matt LaFleur is moderately willing to listen to the locker room. 26th overall. That's according to, to the players here. That Matt LaFleur is moderately willing to listen to the locker room. Now, is there maybe some certain aspects of that where, I, you know, for example, maybe there were some players who weren't happy last year with Joe Barry and what he was calling in, and maybe some of them didn't like it that Matt LaFleur stuck by Joe Barry. And that's where he got this. I don't know. I'm just throwing out examples of potentially that. The ownership one was was interesting to me because Mark Murphy tends to get a lot of grief from Packers fans. Yet, it sounds like the players love the guy. Mark Murphy received a rating of 9.5 out of 10 from Packers players when considering his willingness to reinvest in the team's facilities. Sixth overall. Where does some of that money come from to invest, reinvest in team's facilities? Uh, That would be stuff like Titletown District. When we did the stocks again, that's where that all goes. He's players, while fans kind of like, oh, yeah, we're buying stock for 200 or what's going on? Like, do we need another cool thing at Titletown District? It's 
going to into the facilities, going to weight rooms, training rooms, whatever for the players. Players see it. Players apparently really appreciate it. They grade Mark Murphy incredibly high. Incredibly high. 9.5. Which is interesting. You know, you get all these grades. It's like, all right, Green Bay's third. All right, overall third out of 32. Okay, cool. Uh, You know who is dead last in owners? Dead last. Now that, you know, you got Dan Snyder out of there. It was the Chiefs. The Chiefs did not have good grades. I think it was similar to, to, to last year, too. Overall, the Chiefs ranked 31st out of 32. 31st out of 32, ahead of only the Commanders. And their owner, Clark Hunt, ranked dead last. Dead last. But you know what? They won the freaking Super Bowl. So, I mean, you, you look at these these grades and you look at this, this stuff and it's like, okay, it's interesting, but does it really tell you maybe everything? You know, fran- we, we talk about these franchises or teams to emulate and such, and then you look at some of these grades and how the players look at their their teams, and you got the Chiefs who have won three Super Bowls what in the last five years, and they're ranked incredibly poorly. The one that probably saved them all, though, this is this is the key. This is the one key grade with everything because they've got a lot of Ds. They've got some Fs on here too. But the one thing that they excelled at, that the players love about, is their head coach, Andy Reid, A-plus, number one. Otherwise, families, D-plus. Nutritionist, F. Locker room, F. Training staff, F. Training room, D. Travel, D. Ownership, F-minus. I didn't even know F-minus was a thing. Head coach, A+. plus. That's because Andy Reid has that culture within that locker room. Might be a poorly constructed locker room space-wise. Andy Reid has all the respect in the world from his players. You want to talk about a leader? Right there, Andy Reid, leader. When you look at a report card like this from, from the players where they're just, they, everything, apparently, according to this, everything stinks. And it should be a miserable workplace, except for their leader, the head coach, Andy Reid. They want to play for him. They respect the heck out of him. That's the difference. You don't think head coaches don't matter? Oh, no, they do. I always find those those report cards interesting. You can look them up, uh, kind of look at it yourself here, NFLPA.com. Uh, for what it's worth, the the two lowest rank, or I should say, the three lowest rank coaches are no longer employed. If you kind of want to take a take a look at that, so it was like uh, Josh McDaniels had the lowest grade; he was a D. Ron Rivera was on there too. He was, yeah, he had a C. And who was the other one? Let me scroll it up here quickly. It was. Oh, Arthur Smith had a C plus. Ironically, Frank Reich, who got fired during his first year, got an A minus. So I just throwing that out there. Owner got a D. That was that was Carolina's big thing, which I mean, from everything we've heard and kind of 
seen and read and all that kind of makes sense. But interesting if you want to deep dive into it, kind of look at some how the the players responded and such. I like, I think it's interesting. We are always looking to save a little money in our pockets, but we still need our essentials like our grocery items. So how do you save money while also getting what you need for your family? Hy-Vee Perks. If you shop at Hy-Vee, you're already getting a great deal on quality items throughout the store. But now you can save more money with Hy-Vee Perks on different items each week. Saving some money is easy if you shop at Hy-Vee in Eau Claire. So take advantage of these awesome deals and sales and stop on over at Hy-Vee in Eau Claire today. Okay, we have yet to see a uh, 12-team playoff, but they're already talking about expanding that one to 14, and it seems like there's momentum to for, for this. Uh, and I'm kind of making it a, a poll question if anybody likes this idea. but So a 14-team playoff model under consideration would give, this is from Brett McMurphy, would give automatic bids to three Big Ten, three SEC, two ACC, two Big 12, and one group of five teams and three bids to remaining to the remaining highest-ranked at-large teams. What do you think about that? My initial reaction was I thought 12 was plenty mm-hmm. um, because I think you're walking that fine line between, like, it being kind of prestigious and a bit elusive to mm-hmm. just like well you know if you're if you're one of the you know the top three teams but um I guess under that I mean I was kind of worried they were just gonna pigeonhole too much mm-hmm. but then you said there were still a few open spots but I don't know and, and and you mentioned too with like there's three you know big ten teams like well there probably would have been anyway so kind of saying it I don't think is it makes that big of a difference because that was probably what, was gonna, what would happen pretty much yearly anyway the only one I wonder, would the Big Ten and SEC beat up on each other so much where if they didn't have, like, a minimum of three, could you see where... I could see teams you know, trying like, to really, like, schedule weekly. Yeah. So they could be like, oh, we were 11-1 and one and we played in the Big Ten, but then right. you know, they, they played the non-conference schedule that, you know, maybe we've seen, like, the Badgers play some years. Not right. more Not more recently, but that, there's been times where mm-hmm. their non-conference schedule has not been great. Right. So I could see teams maybe trying to do that. Mm-hmm. But... I guess maybe this kind of incentivizes teams to play a bit of a stronger non-conference to have at least one, you know, power five legitimate mm-hmm. non-conference foe in there. Right. Because if you lose, it's not automatic that you're out. Mm-hmm. And we've seen in the past that that isn't the case anyway, but... Because I believe in a 12-team model, it was conference champs, you know, or you're, you're getting in there, and then it was, you know, highest ranked after that. So this would give a minimum of that expanded Big Ten... At least, at least three, because there could be more, you know, depending on on the rankings over there too. But, you know, my first thought was, okay, maybe it makes it a little bit easier for Wisconsin to get in, uh, in, in that point. But we don't know how it, every year is going to be different at that point. But, um, I, you know, this is coming on the heels too of the NCAA president opening door for basketball expansion. Uh, to, to, to the tournament, throwing up 96 teams out there. That one I'm vehement, vehemently against. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, to me, that's too much. Like, I I just, I don't see who's clamoring for more, who is looking at the current NCAA men's and women's basketball tournament and saying, this is wrong, we have to fix it. Because I've never heard anyone of note say that. Right. It just, I mean, but like a lot of things, what is it? It's, you know, 
Spaceballs Ooh. 2, the quest for more money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that that would just be annoying because think about last year. Like, the Badgers were on the outside looking at the NCAA men's tournament. Did anyone think that was a tournament team? Not the no. way they played. No. You know, so it's just, I think right now they're at, you know, 68 is kind of the, you know, the magic-ish number because you're getting in good teams, but you know, you're still getting in conference champions. And yeah, every year there's a couple teams that don't make it that maybe have a case that they should, but that's... And I think that's good for the sport, I, I too. I do, too, because yeah. it, it gives you some drama going into mm-hmm. the day of the bracket announcement. I mean, yep. are we going to be as excited to hear, you know, Greg Gumbel lists the corporate champions when he's announcing the uh, the brackets on right. that Sunday afternoon before the tourney starts? Mm-hmm. Probably not. I mean, I think if you do 96, you might. I mean, the NAT might as well just say, hey, we're not going to do it anymore. Right, you know? right. I mean, what's the point? At, you because, know? yeah, you have the NAT, you have like the CBI, you have all mm-hmm. these other kind of, you know, you know second-tier team or second-tier tourneys that are taking teams after the NCAA kind of mm-hmm. goes through there. So it's... Yeah, I, I would have more of an issue with college basketball doing it than you know the than football expanding. But I I think college for college football twelve is good, mm-hmm. like because you still want to have some level of like eliteness to it. Like, hey, all these are really good teams, as opposed to well, this nine and three team that was going to be playing in the artist formerly known as the Outback Bowl is is now in. Could you see a day though where we get maybe college football? Closer to twenty teams in that playoff. I mean, I hope not, but I mean, it's possible. Usually, yeah. when usually when these things change, it doesn't. Um, it doesn't go backwards. You know, like mm-hmm. they're not going to say, "Well, we I know before we had twelve teams, but now we're only going to have four again." Right. Like it doesn't go. It doesn't get smaller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's. I mean, like that's why the NFL will not go back to oh, six no. teams. They, nope. You know, in the postseason, or they're gonna cut their regular season back to 16 or, or anything like that. It's it's we talk about it a lot with baseball, right? You know, they're not going back and they're not going to have a salary cap for for teams. No, that's you, that's not happening. You can't put that toothpaste back in the tube. Mhm. So, I it sounds like they're going to this is it, it wouldn't start till 2026. Uh they said for for this 14 potential 14 team college. That's kind of difficult to say 14 team college football playoff. So, um I guess for for me, I almost want to see how the twelve team one works first, and we would, you know, we, we, we would see that there too. But ah, uh, yeah, it's just because you're looking at this too, fourteen team college football playoff model. I'm looking at ESPN here because the one team I'm looking at is Notre Dame. Like they would have to be probably that one team that's one of the the highest remaining bursts because they're not in a conference. And it says here, as for Notre Dame, sources told ESPN that the most likely option being discussed is that the Fighting Irish would earn a spot uh, in the 14-team college football playoff if the selection committee ranks them in the top 14 on selection day. So, as you know, they kind of said Notre Dame. They, I like this graphic here. They got SEC three automatic qualifiers, Big Ten three automatic qualifiers, ACC two, Big Twelve two, Group of Five one, at large three asterisks. Notre Dame by itself one asterisk right there. And that's kind of the way it is in bowl season two where you hear that certain bowls kind of have tie-ins with Notre Dame where they're kind of, because they play an independent schedule, they're mm-hmm. kind of the you know, the wild card of the mix. Right. Interesting here too, um, do you know who uh, kind of mentioned this, it sounds like, first opened the door for this? It was the Big Ten commissioner. 
Tony Petiti, ESPN reported earlier this month that the Big Ten commissioner mentioned in a meeting this fall about the potential of an expanded playoff. So, and he, well, he's probably looking at his conference and be like, hey, I'm getting USC, I'm getting Oregon, Washington, UCLA. I want more Big Ten teams, guaranteed Big Ten teams in this college football sure. playoff. Yeah, I'm sure. Over there. I mean, he's a... He's from CBS Sports too, so he's got he's got a little business TV dealing and all that sort of stuff. So he comes from a business side of it. So um, I don't know. Uh, I guess I'm 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 of the I'm open to it. I can see it. I can see something happening though, where if they say okay, SEC and the Big Ten, you're guaranteed three Big Twelve. What happens if there's like not enough of those teams that are really good? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Okay, we're gonna put a minimum of, you know, two in the, two in the Big Twelve or two in the ACC, two automatic qualifiers. In the ACC. What if the second best team is like one game over five hundred? Right. You know, then they or get even like like I said, like you get a team that like the second best team in the Big Twelve was like BYU at eight and four. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, if you're putting that on there, you got to be prepared for that. Right. If you're going to be putting those minimums on there, right, you got to be prepared for that. Now, the odds of that happening probably slim. That's the second best generally conference Because generally, you know, your top two or three teams in a conference, especially a major conference, have a pretty good record. Mm-hmm. But it's not unheard of. Does this model, though, in your opinion, help a team like Wisconsin? Probably. I mean, because, you know, realistically, the Badgers had, what, one year where they could they legitimately could have been in the top four? Mm-hmm. And that was 2017 when they were 12-0 and going into the Big Ten title game and lost to Ohio State. So um, it's one of those things where... It gives them a better shot, but it also gives a lot of other teams a better shot. So it kind of cuts down a little bit on the odds of their better shot, but still, their better shot is still better than the other shot, which really was much too you know wasn't too much of a shot. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of shots. It does a lot. <laughs> Taking you back to your college days. Ooh, gosh. oh man. Let's take a quick break, and we're going to talk some Brewers and Bucks after these quick words. Are you thinking of taking a spring break trip this year? Or maybe you're already eyeing up that summer vacation, but you're not quite sure if you have the proper transportation for those road trips. Hey, that's where Toys and Ford can help you. Toys and Ford has a wide selection of new and used vehicles for you to check out. And at Toys and Ford, they treat you like an honored guest. They will work with you on financing no matter what your budget may be. So if you're looking for that new vehicle this year, head to Toys and Ford, located at 1000 Chippewa Crossing Boulevard in Chippewa Falls. Games are underway for, for spring training, including the big epic battle yesterday between former friend Craig Council going up again, returns to Maryville. How come nobody like really piped that up, the return to Maryville? Uh, but uh, very lackluster. Right, and that, that's kind of the thing with, I, I guess why things are always a little bit different in baseball is because like, you kind of do play several times in the preseason, so it's kind of like, you know, yeah, when the first time the Cubs come to American Family Field, we'll be like, oh, but it's like but they've already kind of played each other several mm-hmm. times. So This will be – it'll be different because you get like 30-some thousand fans. Yeah, and, and they'll be know. very boisterous. and Yeah. So, But, you know, overall spring training-wise, I mean, you know, I've been kind of highlighting a, a couple different things here. Sal Freelick getting first two starts at third base. He did get a start the other day in right field too. But uh, I think that's notable that the first two games they – put them out there at third base, isn't it? Or am I reading too much into that? No, I think it is. I mean, that's that's it's not kind of like a token thing where they're just going to say, well, we'll throw him out there a little bit. No, they, I mean, they did it from the get-go and mm-hmm. seemed like he knew what he was doing. Yeah. Tyler Black the other day, then making some nice defensive plays, it sounded like, at first and third base. 
uh, over there too. So, I mean, you know, it's still an open competition, I have to imagine, over at third, but Tyler Black making making some moves over there. And, you know, that's a guy you obviously have talked about quite a bit, and you've talked about him, maybe a position switch over to first. But, you know, right now, if he can play first and third, and, and not just be stuck at one. That's got to improve his chances, I would think, to make the roster. I think so. And I think back to something a, a, an old boss of mine told me once. That he said, the more you can do, the harder it is to fire you. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of you know, something I think the Brewers take to heart, too, with given how much they value position versatility. Mm-hmm. So, and given that both those spots, I mean, Reese Hoskins will play a fair amount of first base, but he'll also get a fair amount of DHing in. So, you know, you're looking for people that can... You know, solidly defense both those corner spots, and mm-hmm. you know they're giving some guys opportunity to see if they can. Pitching wise, we know the top two in this rotation. It's Freddie, it's Wade. D.L. Hall looked like he had a good BP session the other day, striking out Yelich and Hoskins, as you mentioned, and those two guys kind of talking about uh, what they saw from him. When you look at this spring training, is, do you, is one of the position groups? You know, we've talked about third base and obviously first base and, and that. But is it really, in your opinion, wide open from three through five in that back end of that starting rotation? I think there's a couple different options. Um, you know, I, I, yeah, I think there's, you have some people that you think maybe more so than others could make it. I think Deal Hall's pretty good chance he's going to mm-hmm. because they want, you know, they want him to get that opportunity too. Um, but otherwise, you've got Colin Ray, who's someone that, you know, kind of bounce around, and maybe if, if some other guys, you know, really emerge, that'll allow him to kind of be back in that swing spot that he, you know, he did pretty well with last year. But mm-hmm. he's also someone I think they know they can count on. Um, Ashby, Aaron Ashby. To me, Aaron Ashby is kind of the wild card in this whole mix mm-hmm. because after not really pitching last year, um, you know, where is he at? I mean, it sounds like you know, velocity-wise and everything, he's in a good spot, but you know, they'll probably be, you know, take him a little bit slow there. Is that something you're going to have him in the rotation right off the bat? Are you going to maybe start him in the bullpen mm-hmm. or, you know, you can keep his innings a little bit more in check? I I mean, I think the bottom line is you're going to see, you're not going to see just five pitchers starting out of that rotation this year. So it might, it's going to be fluid. It's going to, mm-hmm. you know, move from time to time as someone like Robert Gasser, who, you know, at this point, you know, sooner than later should be making major league starts because he's proven himself in Triple A. See another one. Is he above uh, Jacob Mizorowski? Yeah, at, I think of... I think yeah, Mizorowski's still going to take some time with him. I okay. mean, he's someone that you know the stuff is off the charts, but he he made the Double A last year. I think he's still a year away. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to give you know they're going to want to make sure that he's very regimented in what he's getting and as far as innings go. So yeah, he's even though his stuff is good enough to pitch in the majors right now. It's still working on the command with him, and you know, kind of some of the other you know polish that comes with being a good starter in the majors. So, could you see potentially Aaron Ashby being that Adrian Hauser role, where spot starter maybe here there, long relief coming out of the bullpen? Who's more likely or better suited for that? Is that a Colin Ray or Aaron Ashby? Do you think? I think it could be either. Mm-hmm. I, I think those are the two guys. If if that's kind of a, a determined role, that those are the two guys that I would think of first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Because I think they're pretty well connected on Deal Hall being a starter. I think they're pretty well, you know, connected otherwise with, you know, Robert Gasser maybe being a starter as well. I know if we make if he makes a rotation on spring training, who knows? But and something that's kind of as you see some of these names really popping up with this is a lot of lefties for the Brewers. Yeah, you know, obviously Wade Miley is, Robert Gasser is, Aaron Ashby is. Um, so. 
that's interesting because that that hasn't always you know necessarily been the case with the rotation. So that's I mean I don't, I'm not saying that as a good thing. I'm not saying that as a bad thing. It's just different. Mm-hmm. Anything else in the first you know few games here? I know you know Brewers.com. Uh, they had a piece up uh, a couple days ago now. Five Brewers prospects off to a hot start this spring. Number one was Jackson Cheerio, which I think everybody's hoping and expecting to. Uh, is it uh, Jefferson Kuro, the Kuro, yeah, the, the, the catcher? Joey Ortiz, another guy I think a lot of people are putting a lot on because, well, if you're traded for Corbin Burns, people want to be that, you know, going to Right, have... you want you want to see that. You want to see it right away. Yep. And then uh, you mentioned Robert Gosser uh, over there. And then Brock Wilkin, who he's a first-round pick. Though, he was a so. first-round pick from last year. Mm-hmm. Um Put up big time power numbers at Wake Forest. He's a corner infielder. You know, ideally they'd want him to stay at third base, but you know, could ultimately end up at first. But I mean, he's a big power guy. He jumped into the you know the minor league organization after being drafted last year and, and played pretty well. Made it to Double A already, so I'm sure that's probably where he'll start this year. So he's a guy that you know maybe this time next year he's in that kind of Tyler Black spot where we're saying, hey, he could make the team on the spring training. Mm-hmm. And you know, depending on what happens with Reese Hoskins, I mean, there could be a spot for him there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, all those guys are, and I think the thing that's exciting about all those those players mentioned is all those are people that within the next year, at the most, could you know be on this team. Mm-hmm. I think you know the Brewers have. I think Baseball America had them as the second high, the second best farm system behind the the Orioles, and that's kind of one of the things that's really exciting is you know for fans, and I'm sure especially for more casual fans, is so many of these guys could be on the team soon. It's one thing when you can. Say hey, there. You know their farm systems rank highly, but this guy's in single A, or this guy is you know high A, so they're still three, four years away. Mm-hmm. But no, the a lot of these players are pretty close. Mm-hmm. Anything else kind of standing out to, to you? I mean, it's still an early it's still the first here, week. But... I mean, you know, I mean, there's some things that you know have kind of been noticed, but you kind of want to wait a little bit more just to see if it's you know kind of a tendency thing or if it mm-hmm. is just. You know, just the first week, but I mean, sounds like Yelich and Hoskins maybe by this weekend will be playing in games, and yep. you know, Gary Sanchez is a little bit further behind coming back from the injury. So, but he's it sounds like he's pretty close, right? Is it is it difficult? You know, for a guy like Freddie Peralta and Wayne Miley, their positions are locked, and you know, maybe they can go into this spring training just working on some stuff, getting ready. You know, maybe trying a new pitch here or there. But for the guys that you also mentioned, for an Aaron Ashby and and those guys maybe fighting, do they have to have a different mindset in this thing? Like they maybe don't have the luxury to try something new or to try something because they're trying to pitch their way onto to a team. That's a good question, and yeah. may, maybe that is. I mean, you're not you can't really tinker necessarily as much because yeah, you're right. Like a bad outing for Freddie Peralta or Wade Miley, no one's really gonna you know you know think too much about it. But if you know Aaron Ashby has a bad outing, it, you know it might be a bit of a you know oh. oh wrong kind of thing but no i think there might be something to that mm-hmm. i just and i think a lot of it's got to come from the managers and the coaches too you know what do they want to see from those guys right. you know what's the expectations from them and that's always it. kind of the thing too with looking at spring training because it's i mean it's a month yeah of, of games not just it's longer than a month but you know judging kind of what you see it's you know, sometimes it's, you know, players are doing certain things, so it's, you know, it's kind of tougher to to guard or to judge them because they are, they're trying, you know, maybe they're trying different things. Maybe a pitcher's working on a, a certain, you know, pitch or a certain sequencing thing where, you know, if they try and it doesn't work, people think, well, this guy's, you know, 
well, what's wrong with him? It's like, well, he was just kind of trying something. Because mm-hmm. wasn't it like Chase Anderson a few years ago? Like he was trying a different delivery. Was was it like he was trying? Yeah. A Greg, was it Greg Maddox type of delivery or something, something like, that? like that? Yeah, where yeah. you know players will try different things, and many times it doesn't work. So, mm-hmm. but he kind of had a little bit of a luxury, like he was going to be in that rotation somewhere right. at that right. point. So. All right, uh, Bucks-wise, before we take a quick break and do a little receiver defer here, they're back in action tonight against Charlotte. They're on a four-game winning streak. Uh, defensive numbers better. Offense seems a little bit down in terms of numbers here. I feel like, though, Brandon, again, maybe I'm off on this. I feel like, though, are they slowing it down a bit? You know, like in that first half, their score, I mean, them and Indiana were like the top two scoring teams in the league. Are they kind of slowing it down now? And I saw somebody say this. That it seems like the Bucks now are just kind of grinding teams out, you know, with Giannis, with Dame. And, and again, maybe I'm overthinking this, but if you slow it down just a little bit, is that what's allowing maybe Dame and Giannis to get that connection? Maybe. A little bit more, too. It just seems like they're slowing it down a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, they're not – I mean, I think even back at, you know, the first few months of the year, we knew, like, you can't win every game 140 to 130. Mm-hmm. And they've made, you know, legitimate improvements defensively, but an easier way to make, you know, improvements defensively, too, is to give your opponent fewer possessions. And how you give your opponent fewer possessions, you have to play a little bit slower. Mm-hmm. And that's not a bad thing. I mean, with what they've got, like, you can, I think you've got the talent that you can kind of afford to tinker a little bit and see what works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... They got Charlotte uh, tonight, Bulls tomorrow night, but then next week, I feel like, Brandon, they start off with that game on Monday against the Clippers. Warriors, Lakers, Clippers, Kings, Philly, Phoenix, Boston. Then you got Brooklyn in there, but then it's the Thunder and the Lakers again. We're going to know during that stretch of games what this team's like for for the postseason because this is the last full month. you got a couple weeks in in April, then it's postseason time. We're going to know what kind of team this is going to be for the postseason. Would you agree? Yes. Mm-hmm. It's going to be interesting to follow. I'm, and I'm glad it's a tough schedule like this, too. Right. Coming up here. It, it's kind of a, I think, helps you prepare for, for a postseason run. And they're not going to catch Boston for, for the one spot. Possibly could still get up to number two. I mean, they're only what, half game back now game from Cleveland, something, something so. like that. So, I mean, there's that possibility there, too. But, you know, I kind of, I, if we go back to our, I think you both, you and I both had like Boston or Milwaukee as a two seed anyways. So, I just I just want them riding some momentum getting into that postseason. That's going to do it for us on this episode of the Man Cave Podcast, brought to you by High V and Toyson Ford. Big thanks for tuning into this episode and all the episodes. And if you are a regular listener, we appreciate you always coming by. If you're a first time listener, well, hopefully we can uh, keep you coming back. If you got a few seconds though, and you haven't done so yet, and if you have done it, big thank you. But if you got a few seconds, if you don't mind. Give us a five-star rating on like Spotify and Apple, positive review on Apple, and click that subscribe and follow button. It's for free. But uh, we appreciate you. Tip of the cap to you all. Uh, Until next time, I'm Dan Casper, and I will talk to you on the next episode of the Man Cave Podcast.